Well, good morning, everybody, and welcome one more time to Encounter. I am thrilled to be able to uh, announce to you and invite you to live, in-person, indoors worship happening next weekend. That would be July 26 at both 9.15 and 10.45. Now, I'm super excited about this, uh, but, but I want to kind of invite you in a certain way with a couple of, uh, with a couple of caveats, a couple of uh, requests from you. You see, we did a survey a little while ago, and what we found is that over 90% of you said that you would feel comfortable returning to live, indoors, in-person worship if the right safety measures, the appropriate safety measures were taking place. And we've done that and we're planning on that. And we know that we the absolutely cannot accommodate over 90% uh, of you with certain capacity limitations that we put in, again, for safety. So what I'm inviting you to is to let us know that you're coming. Every Wednesday ahead of the following weekend at noon, we want to invite you to pre-register at EncounterChurch.org or if you subscribe to the weekly, you'll get that right in your inbox and let us know who's coming and how many are coming as well. Again, so excited to be able to invite you. Number one, please let us know you're coming by pre-registering. Number two, consider serving. We're firing up all of our serving teams here at the church again, or many of our serving teams, many new ones as well. And we need you to come on back as well and, and join shoulder to shoulder and, uh, and and work together with us to bring Christ into our communities. All right, we are, uh, we're in a brand new series right now called In My Feelings. And I just kind of want to share, I guess, like an overview story as to like what this series is all about. Uh, a little while ago, my wife and I were traveling on uh, maybe our 10-year anniversary. It was like this destination to very exotic Tennessee. And we're in the car ride on the way down south. And we're in that place in southern Illinois where people started to, to speak with a thick southern accent. And, and, and I knew I'm not home. I'm not anywhere around home anymore. And in the vehicle, in our car that we we're driving, and the check engine light came on. And I knew, I'm not like mechanically inclined so much, but I did know what I had to do in that moment, especially to help my lovely bride's mind kind of go at ease. And what that meant in that moment is as she gazed out of the window, I quick took some black tape and like put it over the engine light to make sure nobody saw it and we could enjoy our vacation. Of course, that'd be a ridiculous response because I know, even not being mechanically inclined, that the light isn't the problem. It's just the indicator of the problem buried somewhere underneath the hood. Who knows what that could possibly be? That's just why you got to go check it out. It's a sign that something else needs some attention. And so what we're doing in this brand new series, In My Feelings, is, is treating our emotions, is treating our feelings like that indicator light that says, hey, something needs to be addressed. Don't cover it up. Don't hide it. Don't push it down. Don't be de deceived and think that oh, the depression is just going to last for a little longer. This anger will pass. It's only a tiny little bit of envy in comparison. Uh, I should just get over it anyway. No, don't fall for it. It's an indicator. It's God's indicator light that says, listen, something needs to be addressed. And so in this series, in my feelings and what to do about it, we're going to see how God teaches us how to interpret these, uh, these indicator lights of our heart. And also we're going to see how God's gospel shapes them into something that's the right expression of it. And the first emotion, the first feeling that we're going to get to this morning is anger. 
And I heard this fantastic demonstration of how anger can kind of demonstrate it in different ways. There was this elderly couple and they were sitting down one evening and in a moment of just profound sobriety, right? This couple that's been married forever, she turns to him and says, you know, I have had so many angry outbursts over the years. And I just, for the life of me, uh, over the decades, I can't remember a single time, husband, that you've had an angry outburst at me. Like, what's your secret? How have you done it for this long? And he says, it's no problem. Honey, whenever I get angry at you, I just go and I clean the toilet. And she says, that works for you? How, how does it cleaning the toilet help? And she goes, oh, it works for, works for me every single time, especially when I use your toothbrush. <laughs> Now, that's not exactly the sage wisdom that maybe you uh, tuned into worship here this morning for. It's not a healthy expression of anger, but my point is that it is anger, isn't it? Is that anger comes sometimes in an angry outburst, red face pounding on the table? That's anger. We know that's anger. And some of you right now, if I was watching you in person in worship here like we will be next week, you're going to be jabbing each other and be like, yeah, that's your anger. But that's not the only kind of anger, is it? Sometimes anger comes out not as, not as shouting. Sometimes it comes off as, as silence, as stonewalling, as just shutting down, as, as just muttering monosyllabic kind of sounds, not word. <laughs> okay, somehow you can make whatever, one syllable, whatever, right? That, that's also a form of anger, turning your, turning your face, your gaze away, as if to suggest that somehow like removing your presence from the other person's life is like punishment enough. That's a kind of anger. Sometimes it's loud. Sometimes anger comes through quietly. There was this counselor that I was reading um, earlier on that said, hey, listen, these are some warning signs that maybe you have an anger problem that's not like an angry like, outburst kind of a problem. It kind of listen, if you've ever used any of these phrases, I'm inviting you to consider is that maybe, maybe you've struggled with anger as well. Maybe this message is for you. If you've ever used the phrase, I'm not angry, I'm just frustrated. Frustration is a kind of anger. Okay, why can't I have a bad day without being a big deal? Oh, and I guess you've never made a mistake blaming somebody else. You're, you're being too sensitive. I'm sick of being the only one who ever has to say I'm Sorry. I'm sorry to unload on you, but I just needed to vent. Again, if you've ever used one of those phrases, this counselor suggests that maybe you too have struggled and do struggle and will struggle with anger. And how, how could we not, church? We live in an anger, outrage, angry Culture. It's the water that we swim in. It's the air that we breathe. Like literally anything happens that's newsworthy in the world, whether it's local, state, national, global, doesn't matter. Anything happens. And immediately outrage surfaces over that thing on social media, on your news feed, there's outrage. You go to MSNBC and it's outrage. You go to Fox News and it's the exact opposite kind of outrage. There's just outrage all the time. For us to acknowledge that, that maybe anger is an issue for us is a little bit like, a fish saying, maybe water is an issue for me because it's just, it's all around us all the time. And so it's not anything new. And so church, the good news about it not being anything new is that, is that God has addressed it a number of times over the years. We're going to go to another one of those places. 2,000 years ago, they struggled with the same things that we're struggling with here today. And it still applies that, that Paul, a church leader, a, pa a pastor, is writing to his church in Ephesus. 
inspired, carried along by the Holy Spirit, giving this divine wisdom, insight into anger. And we get to benefit from that same wisdom this morning. So if you'd like to turn with me, we're going to go to Ephesians chapter 4 and starting off in verse 26. It's just a quick line, a simple line. It says, in your anger, do not sin. You can kind of see in the, in the line below, there's, it's in quotations. Those are not my quotations. Those are Paul's quotations. Who's writing this? He's quoting another author, in this case, the psalmist from Psalm chapter 4, verse 4. Sometimes in your anger is translated, be angry and do not sin. Be angry in your anger. It's confusing. We can acknowledge that. Because part of us, we're like, listen, I, I thought anger is the problem. I thought emotions are the problem. I thought I'm supposed to like just, just not be angry ever. And now I have a statement that's like in your anger, assuming you're going to get angry. Or, or a psalm that's like, be angry and do not sin. I thought I wasn't supposed to have anger. Now I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to call that out a little bit and say that's not actually a Christian belief. Sometimes we like fall into that and we kind of just assume that's the right way. That's not our story. That's not God's story. In fact, that creeps in from like Eastern religion. That creeps in for, it's a, borrow, a borrowing of a Buddhist belief that says that a teaching that's emotion is the problem and, and the goal is the annihilation of all emotions. And that's actually held as a virtue. That's not our story, church. That's not what Jesus taught. Jesus taught that anger is a destructive energy in released in defense of what you love. I love that statement. So I'm going to say it again. Anger is a destructive energy released in defense of something that you love. What I'm simply saying is that your anger signals what you love. Every time you blow up, every time you get angry about something, even if it's an inappropriate expression of that thing, your anger signals what you love. There's a love behind that. A couple of uh, quick examples of that. We've got uh, somebody who's had the unfortunate tragedy of lying bedside next to, next to a deep loved one who's suffering and, and losing the struggle, the battle against cancer. And as the oncologists, the doctors, the surgeons, they, they hold up x-ray and MRI slide after slide. And you can, you can see the, the cancer cells eating away and taking over the healthy cells, causing the illness. You look at all of this and you are rightfully, you are rightly anger at that cancer because of what's it doing. You're releasing this destructive energy in defense of the person that you love. Now, some of you who have worked with young kids, maybe you're a youth group worker, a, a mentor to somebody, maybe you served in, in kids' men long enough to, to watch them start to grow up, and you can similarly, you can see the, the, the cancer cells of, of untruths, of lies, of betrayal, of rebellion, these seeds that are getting planted, these, these cancer cells start to take over and take root in that kid's heart, and you hate it, and you're angry over it. And rightfully so, releasing that energy in defense of what you love. Your anger signals what you love. Now, this is a statement that might get me in a little bit of trouble later on, but we're going to go down the road anyway. Some of us have been angry over what some of our leaders' measures have been taking. Some of us, I'm looking at posts, and they're angry over a mask mandate that we have to wear in public or in public spaces. 
And we get angry over these things. And then there's other people that get angry at the people who are anger, angry over that mandate. And I just want to step back and I want to say, listen, there's a love there, isn't there? In some cases, there's a love of individual rights and freedoms and, and not having other people, especially government entities, telling us what to do. There's a love there that anger is signaling. And there's others who, who love even more so. They, they love public health and safety. And there, there's a love that it doesn't have to be just anger. Because why? Love, anger signals what you love. Jesus taught us that again and again. He goes to the temple. He turns over tables. He gets angered. He doesn't come with his disciples afterwards and say, hey guys, I really, I really blew up over there. I mean, that was just, I kind of lost control there for a minute. No, he goes to the cross. He goes to the cross without sin. He didn't have to apologize for that because he saw the injustices that were happening. Money changers who are taking advantage, money changers who were ripping off people who are simply trying to experience the presence of God that morning. And they were not just charging for it. They were gouging prices for that experience. And it wasn't right. It was unjust. And Jesus did something about it. He released his anger in defense of the people that he loved. You too, as a church, when you see anything that robs God of his glory, we rightfully get angry over that thing. There was an early church leader. This isn't in the Bible, but it happened uh, like generationally close enough to, to those Bible authors, those first generation after Jesus um, type of people that I just, I listened to uh, maybe more than most just because they were around soon after the resurrection events. And so they just, they soaked up so much wisdom. An early church leader, his name was John Chrysostom. And he wrote one time, he's a well-known pastor with a ton of writings. And he wrote that um, anyone who is angry without cause sins. But similarly, anybody who is, ang who is not angry when there is cause to be angry also sins. And then he added on, and perhaps even more so. We should be angry over some things. When you read the stories or watch the videos of Ahmad Arbery or Breonna Taylor or Christian Cooper, who's just trying to watch birds in a park, you, you see these things, these injustices that take place. You, 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 open, you open your news feed in the morning and you see a city of Wyoming police car burned out. Listen, if you're not upset over those things, Church, I, just, I urge you to go to God with that and say, why does this not bother me? Break my heart for what breaks yours. In your anger, we should be getting angry over certain things. In your anger, uh, a statement following that though, again, verse 26, in your anger, do not sin. Again, another early church leader comes up and this is, do not sin in your anger. There's loving anger and there's also sinful anger. Uh, Augustine, or if your tradition allows, St. Augustine, uh, lived around 300 AD. So again, very, very early on, a theologian, philosopher type. And he writes about some of the sinful anger. It's rooted in a, in, in a misprioritized love, which is loving things uh, loving things that we shouldn't love, Lo loving things that are bad for us, loving things that are self-destructive, lo loving things that, that maybe hurt other people and, and de facto rob God of his glory. We, 
The problem is that we love things that are no good for us. Also, sometimes we love things that are good just too much. So here's a question for you. And I would love if somebody's brave enough to like leave it in the comment section below. But like, what's that anger thing that just sets you off? Maybe disproportionately from what you know it's all about. Uh, so a couple of examples. Um, if you've ever had the conversation with somebody and as you're talking to them, like I am to you, they break eye contact and they pull out their phone and they're just like, wait a minute. And they start texting someone else. And it's like something happens inside of you, right? And you're going, how could you be so self-absorbed? And it's a small slight, but like, because you love maybe your own time or your own self so much, like it blows it out of proportion, doesn't it? And you start to like write that person off entirely. Like, man, it's not just you, it's your entire generation. You can't have a conversation. You've lost the art of small talk and you, you'll never be a functioning adult a day in your life. And it's like, whoa, wait, hang on. Is, is there maybe like a love here that is like maybe, maybe circumvented another love? Like, do you love yourself in that instance more, more than your love for your neighbor and their like concern for their self-absorption happening? I'll tell you one for me. And I just realized that earlier this week as I'm like running through the message for this weekend in my mind and I'm out for a run. And in my defense, so I'm trying to get myself off the hook, um, you know, it was hot, you know, and I, and I was like coming back and I just wanted to be back in the air conditioning and you know, like back to safety. But I'm like coming home and a car is like pulling out in front of me in the, in the road, like ready to turn out and they stop, you know, and, and like look for traffic. And as I'm running, they stop, they park, on the sidewalk, like right crossing the sidewalk that I need to get through. And for some reason, it like triggers something in my heart. And I just, I get so fuming angry about that. And where my brain goes is like, that's dangerous. How could they? They're not paying attention. They're probably texting as they're driving. You know, a pedestrian, an innocent person is going to get hurt. And so I'm like throwing up my arms, like, what are you doing? You know, and I like want to kick the car, like punch it or something like that. But I'm wearing an encounter shirt, so I, I, you know, hold myself back. You're welcome. No, I don't do that, but I do. I throw up my arms like that. I'm like, come on. And the person I can see on their face, they were so apologetic, you know, and they just like, sorry, you know, put it in reverse. They let me go. And I'm wondering about that. And I'm like, that, that, that response, was that maybe indicative that there's like a love of, of self-interest, right? It was a minor inconvenience, but I like, I blew it up to this whole thing. And again, Augustine, St. Augustine, he the image that he gets onto that is like those emotions and those outbursts, or even if they're passive aggressive kind of outbursts, it's like they're, and he calls them, they're smoke from a fire. You know, it's an indication that there's something else going on. Pay attention to it. Maybe there's a love that got switched around there in your anger. Do not sin. Jesus gave this, this remarkable demonstration of what this thing could look like, um, although a confusing one, in Matthew chapter 5. It's his Sermon on the Mount. And so Jesus is making these grand declarations, these statements uh, that pastors, Christians, theologians would study uh, for centuries and millennia afterwards. And one of the statements was a story that says, if somebody strikes you on one cheek, turn to him the other also. And it's a confusing story. Like, uh, what are you saying? If somebody's like, attacks you, let them? No, no, that, that's not what he's saying. Um, if somebody strikes you, 
is culturally, contextually, uh, probably an open hand sort of slap. Uh, it's a more of an insult than it is an injury. If somebody slights you, turn to him the other cheek. You know, like, great strategy, you know, turn to him the other cheek. <laughs> What happens if he slaps that too? You know, he's going to like bend over then and like, here's a, here's a couple more cheeks for you. Like, how is this? A Jesus' point behind this thing, no, no, no. When somebody insults you, you have a few options. Um, you can turn, you can walk away. You can, you can ignore that thing. Pretend it doesn't happen. Pretend it didn't hurt. Or you can hit them back. Either of those two are mistakes. Don't, don't ignore the sin uh, don't strike them back with an equal or greater sin. Jesus says, turn, look at them in the eye and confront them. Confront the sin with an eye towards community. That's what loving anger does. Loving anger invites on into a relationship. I, I want to show you uh, what this thing looks like. But Paul's not done. Ephesians 4, 26, we just continue on in the passage. He gives some great wisdom. Do not let the sun go down while you are still angry. And do not give the devil a foothold. Anyone who has been stealing must steal no longer, but must work. Doing something, keyword, useful with their own hands so that they may have something to share with those in need. You want to know a quick hack, like a, like a quick rush to it, Wait, wait, gut check, heart check. Is my anger loving anger or sinful anger as we discussed? How do I know which one, is, which one is which? Quick question, how long does it last? Like it's just, it doesn't work every time, but it frequently does. Just a quick question. Because Paul says, don't let the sun go down while you're still angry. You just do a heart check and say, how long, how long has this anger lasted? A car pulls out in front of me and, it, and I'm thinking, earlier this week, and I'm still obviously sharing about it with you this weekend, it has lasted a little bit too long. Maybe there's something going on there. If you can acknowledge, as Jesus taught us to do, confront the sin with an eye towards building a relationship. If you can acknowledge that thing, turn it over to God, let go and let God address that injustice there's a good chance that's a loving anger. It's built towards restoration. It's built towards unity. It's built towards relationship. If you find yourself taking that anger, that slight, and you're stewing over it, and you're still mulling it over, you're keeping it, you're holding it, you're watering it, you're feeding it, you're keeping it like a little pet in your heart, listen, there's a good chance that that's a sinful anger that we just can't let go of because honestly, we don't want, we don't even want to let go of it. Just three statements as we think about the difference between sinful anger and loving anger is that loving anger is useful. Loving anger does something. We talked uh, weeks ago uh, about how you can't build anything beautiful if the only tool that you go to every single time is a sledgehammer. If you're always just taking, taking aim at something, you're always trying to destroy something. And you can't do, as Paul says, do something useful with your hands. If you can't do something useful with your keyboard, if you can't do something useful with your words, if you can't identify something that you're building, maybe this anger isn't worth having. In other words, maybe, maybe it's self-destructive. Maybe it's sinful anger. Because loving anger builds. Loving anger invites, especially into a relationship. And loving anger Freeze. Loving anger 
can even free you. It was years ago, but honestly, it wasn't that many years ago. Church, this is in the mid-1990s. In the course of one week in the summertime, a genocide broke out in the country of Rwanda. And the story is uh, is written about um, in the book, The the Bishop of Rwanda. But in the story, a, a pastor is recalling how such unspeakable tragedy took place in the course of, again, a week somewhere in the neighborhood of 500,000 to to 1 million people lost their lives when one ethnic tribe attacked another. The the violence inflicted particularly upon women during that time and soon after, it's unspeakable. And the question that looms over it that this pastor is asking is trying to answer is, how does a country come back from that? How do you build anything after an atrocity like that takes place? And the pastor is writing from the perspective of the Tutsi ethnic group, the ones that was attacked, the one that that lost the majority of the lives were his people, his congregants, his mother, his brothers, that lost their lives. And in writing about this, he said that one of the most destructive lies that the devil tells us is that we have to wait until the person who harmed us fully and finally repents before we forgive them. And that's a lie because it's gonna keep my anger on the hook. It's a way for that anger to be nursed deep inside of my heart because what if they didn't mean it? What if I'm not convinced? And he said, it's a lie because just look at the cross of Christ that while we were still sinners, Christ died for me. No, it's a lie. It's a lie to think that when we offer someone forgiveness, It's a lie to think it just lets them off the hook. And in reality, forgiveness is an acknowledgement that the hook isn't mine. That Jesus in his infinite wisdom with an eternal perspective will do what he sees fit to do. It doesn't let somebody off the hook. It acknowledges the hook isn't mine. So I just want to invite you to simply answer this one simple question. When you get angry, how long, how long are you going to let that person that you don't even like How long are you going to let that person who might not even be in your life anymore, how long are you going to let that person who may not even be alive anymore, how long are you going to let them control you, imprison you, before you offer forgiveness that God in Christ Jesus has offered you? Our gracious God, we pray that 
you fill our hearts to do just that. God, as we identify those things in our life that take over, makes us angry, God, help us to sort this out between sinful anger and loving anger and anger that builds and anger that invites and anger that ultimately frees your people and frees us towards loving one another and loving you. Jesus, give us your insight. Give us your compassion. Most of all, Lord, give us your freedom and forgiveness. Turn this anger into something beautiful. In your name we pray.